Hi, and welcome to C. Myers Live. My name is Sally Myers. I'm a principal at C. Myers Corporation. And I'm Rob Johnson, also a principal at C. Myers. And today we're here to talk about uh, another critical issue in AL modeling. We already posted a recent blog on decay rates, but today we wanted to talk about uh, linking decay rates and your overall pricing or anticipated pricing, in other words, linking decay rates with betas. And the reason it's so important now is because rates have been so low and relatively unchanged for so long, it's very important for those who are using ALM models that are built around using a single beta or even multiple betas that they understand how that is connected or not connected to decay rates. That's right. And, and just as a reminder, because if you think of some of the key decisions that leadership teams are facing right now, they're facing um, likely liquidity pressure. And, you know, we've talked a lot about that and some of the you know different um, thought leadership areas because of the pressure that's happening on the deposits and how to grow funds. So there's there's a risk of money migrating, moving to other accounts, which is what the assumption called decays is designed for. And then you know, think decays or withdrawals. It's if the money is going to leave the account and either go somewhere else within your organization at a higher rate or might leave. It might either be spent or it might you know, go to someone else's um, higher rates or off into investment. So whatever the reason, you need to understand the exposure of having those dollars move. At the same time, there's the rates that you're paying. And so if you think from a leadership team, you're probably having a lot of conversations about how do we grow funds right now or how do we you know, reduce the exposure of funds leaving and at what price do we need to pay on those funds? And there's an interconnection between that when you're, you're having a, a decision-making discussion. Right. And not only the price that you might need to pay today in the current rate environment, but the price that you might need to pay if rates stay at this level um, as things settle in and the consumer might move their money for, for better deals, as you've already talked about, or because of inflation, they might spend it. But also the pricing discussion center, centering around, well, what if rates continue to go up? What if rates go down? And again, the, it's important to have both the decay and the pricing assumptions, also known as betas, uh, linked. And we thought the way to communicate this would be best in a conversation as we are having, but also visuals might help. So I just want to say out loud that um, there will be some visuals in the show notes to help solidify some of the things we're talking about. That's right. I wanted numbers in there and Sally said that they would be allowed in the show notes, but That's most right. of it, we need to have a good discussion around this. Correct. You know, and let's actually start off before even changing rates with a situation. You're in the current environment, whatever that might be when you're listening to this, and, and you say, well, do we need to change our deposit rates right now? And you're starting to see some withdrawals happening. Well, what happens in a lot of the models is those those decays. And I do encourage you to refer to the blog that we put out, you know, earlier in January, because it will show you kind of some of the concepts and that can be really helpful. But a lot of times they're listed as 
what are the decays if rates do not change and what are the decays if rates go up 100 200 300 whatever it might be and down a certain amount so you know with these different movements well even starting off in the current environment uh you have a decay let's just pick a nice simple round number 10 percent that's saying oh 10 percent withdrawal could occur on these deposits in today's environment and maybe you're paying on a deposit account 10 basis points and people are saying well i think we need to increase that okay what do you think we need to increase it to sally uh, i think we need to increase it to 30 basis points all right well i, I don't know i think we need to increase it to one percent i think that that will help us so what kind of deposits are we talking about well i mean you know again this applies to any type any of type you know we're like, having this discussion okay. well we'll go you know, with your one percent you, you, your name. you well, like the numbers but shouldn't we test each of those let's just sure. run a quick test okay what if we move up to 30. okay what if we move up to one that should take you no more than a minute or two in your ALM model normally. You know, ideally, that should be very fast. At least when we do it all the time, we run thousands of these. It's fast. So you run that and uh, it comes back and it says, OK, the 30 basis points you suggested, that hurts X dollars. And um, the one I suggested hurts a lot more. Sure. And you might say, well, no surprise. But then we need to ask a little bit deeper question. Did you adjust the decays that are assumed? Because the reason I'm thinking if we go up to 100 basis points on what we're paying or that 1%, that that's enough to keep the money from outflowing. So did the model itself just keep the same decay regardless of the pricing philosophy and the advantage or disadvantage that the end consumer has with what we're paying them? And I bet you they will like my 1% more than the five basis points we're paying right now and the 30 that Sally suggested. Sure, which would be the reason, one of the reasons you're raising the rates to 100 basis points. Yeah, right? I wasn't doing it just for fun. Right, right. It was yeah. to try and keep it. And so yeah. what happens is even before we have the beta part occur, just today's rates, that decay, you actually need to manually consider in many models, oh, when I'm changing this rate, what behavior change might that cause? And go to that other part and make that adjustment. Now, not every model is designed that way. And so, you, you know, there are ways of knowing that. And you can see by the structure itself on what it does. It's not our preferred method. You know, we, we like to look at it from the consumer's perspective because we think then it helps with some of those discussions. So that's kind of point one is, even just changing rates today, is it having the intended effect? Because if the finance team comes back and shows these results and says, look, there's no reason to do Rob's 1%, that actually could be misleading. And there might be a reason to do it if we were addressing the assumptions well. Well, before we talk about changing rates, you know, somebody might be listening to this and saying, well, yeah, you're going to take your, your pricing up like, in the current rate environment on certain accounts to 1%. Uh, and you didn't adjust the decay rate or, you know, so what? It's only 10%. I mean, that's not that big of a deal. Yeah, which, you know, and you're right if it was all just 10%. Right. And the reality is that different accounts have different risk of exposure and withdrawals. The consumer pays different levels of attention depending on your markets, you know, who it is that you're out there serving and, you know, as your customers and, 
you know, how much money they have. And the reality is, and this is in a, uh, in our mind, a very helpful point. We do a lot of validations of ALM models where we see that they treat, you know, whether someone has, you know, $1,000 in their deposit account or $250,000, they're the same assumptions. Mm -hmm. They have the same decays. Hmm. Where really, if you start to break it out and into more detail and kind of a smarter way to approach it is to have those different categories. Someone with $250,000 or more in their account is going to be more sensitive to rates typically than someone with $1,000 or $10,000. And so breaking that out, and we're seeing right now, if you were to take the pace in fourth quarter for certain accounts, and especially different tiers, there are some of them that we've seen drop 30% at annualized pace so yeah. far. So that starts to make a big difference when yeah. you're not factoring that into the into the ALM modeling because um, if you if you decide to raise your rates to 1% in this example, and then at the same time you're holding that 30%, if you if you have the 30% decay in there, that's extra painful. Whereas if you know, you adjusted the decay rate to represent what you were thinking in in your scenario. Well, if I raise the rates to one percent, then less might transfer out. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so here, this is also you know a, a big reminder for decision makers right now. This is the time to be thinking about these things. This, mm -hmm. this is the time to understand the assumptions in your model because you should hopefully be relying on models to help you make better decisions. Mm -hmm. And decisions are getting very difficult right now as rates have gone up so much and you're seeing a lot more competition for deposits. Yeah. Still That's now, fine. you have to deal with, well, rates could change again. Mm -hmm. We have solid evidence that they can change. We will encourage a reminder that, you know, we're we're recording this at the end of January right now when in 2022, rates change very quickly. In 20, you know, so there were these learnings and some we are seeing some situations where people say, well, I didn't have to move that much. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of times that's because there will be some lag in your in your your pricing assumptions and the competition hadn't heated up yet. So do be careful on assuming that just because in 2022 you did not have to increase your rates very much, that that doesn't mean you won't have to start to increase them more going forward. And that's where those the beta assumptions are very important. There's some things to know about them. But right now, we're just going to put out there just a general situation of as rates are changing, the beta is helping indicate, well, what pace of change do you think you'll move? You know, if rates move 100 basis points, I think I'll move this account 25 basis points or 30 basis points, you know, so 25% of that movement, 30% of that movement, 50, 80, depends on the category, depends on the type. So what happens is right now places need to also be having discussions of all right as rates have gone up a lot and so far we haven't had to move that much but i'm worried you know i still need to test what if rates go up another 100 200 300 or mm -hmm. you know depending on what you do in your policy then you're going to need to look at those and say are we adjusting those appropriately one you know what might we do with our betas and then keep in mind if you're then testing different levels of betas, you need to go back to, similar to what we did with today's rates, and say, well, how might that impact the decay assumptions? Mm -hmm. Don't just change one without at least considering the other and saying, did we ask the question, what do we do? And then, then that will help you have better information. Right. And then, but you said as we're testing different betas and 
many models are built around a single beta. So how do they, how are people testing different betas? Or if, get, let's give people some workarounds if their model is built around a single beta. Yeah, if it's built around a single beta, then one of the things you know you, you want to do is is at least look at from today's environment. Now, what is our philosophy going forward? And you're probably going to have to run some different what ifs. You'll have to, you know, the problem with a single beta is that life is not linear. Mm -hmm. Your pricing philosophies in the end are not linear. Competition is not linear, but a single beta forces you into a it's the same movement, regardless if rates are heading up to 6% mm -hmm. or 7% you know, on your test, because each extra 100 just moves that same amount. When the reality is, history has shown the higher rates go, then there's a lot more pressure to compete. Mm -hmm. When rates are low, you know, if, if you did your beta test and studies back in, you know, at the end of 2021, early 2022, all the history you're looking at is, oh, when rates are at zero and when rates came down from 2% at the end of 2019 into 2020, oh, okay, we didn't have to move that much. And so your betas might be a lot lower based off of that history than what you might start to see the pressure build up for now. Yeah. So you should probably do some tests on that. So if you're, so but if if there's a single beta and then the and there's a a workaround on it, the betas may be different. If rates go up 100 basis points, 200 basis points, or 300 basis points, but there's an input into the model for one beta. So then what I'm hearing you say is at that point, choose the scenario, the 100, 200, 300 in this example that you really want to test against and use that beta yeah you'll probably have to you know connect back to at least your policy or your decision discussions right now mm -hmm. which beta might yeah. best fit you know because you're trying to trying to in that situation make one number represent multiple different right. numbers and and so it's not an ideal situation it is better when um when models have multiple beta options mm -hmm. and you know so that's a, an improvement or an advancement mm -hmm. and so quite a few models do that you know, in the end, almost one of the then, you know, the next upgrade is to have it where you can actually say, look, if rates go to 5%, mm -hmm. let's assume that this is what we'll pay. If rates go to six or seven or 10% or back down to zero or two, here's the rate we'll pay. Mm -hmm. And that way it actually makes a dynamic beta because in the end, the beta is just meant to represent the pace to get you to the answer of what you'll pay at that environment. Mm -hmm. Why not just input, here's what I'll pay at that environment. Right, and right. so that's a more advanced of those. That's what we like to do here because we ran into a lot of problems when looking at single betas and multi-betas at first. And so, you know, improve the modeling. Well, and then also if you, if the model then doesn't automatically connect the betas, the, the pricing assumptions, with the decay rates or the you know in other words money leaving the account then that's that the, the most advanced many models aren't built that way so just a reminder to continuously if you're changing your pricing assumptions otherwise known as your betas you gotta look at your decay rates yeah and, and speed that, them up that you're going to have to keep really paying attention to these assumptions and have discussions around them 
because it's pretty important in the decision making right now. And then go ahead and, you know, update them to today's rates because the betas you used to have when rates were zero probably are not applicable when short term rates are about 5%. Mm -hmm. And, you know, same thing with the decays. Your decay, you know, and that's what we talked about in the blog separately is the decays need to be shifted to address the absolute level of rates. 5% environment and worrying about rates going up more or back down is a very different situation than rates starting at zero, like they were in January of 2022. Yeah. And I think it's also um, a good idea to remind people the methodologies where the betas are incorporated and the decay rates are incorporated even if they're not connected oh yeah good point because what happens is for the most part essentially any economic value portion of a model will incorporate your betas and your decays in fact uh, if you want to get written up by an examiner regardless of you know who you are Go ahead and have no decays in your assumptions mm -hmm. and uh, see how the economic value results look. Mm -hmm. It's not going to turn out well. Mm -hmm. um, you will get written up. You need to have decays yeah. in there. But what people lose sight of and what they didn't realize is, well, of course there are decays. See, here are the decays that those decays don't apply to most earning simulations, mm -hmm. whether they're doing a static Mm -hmm. where by definition they're treating it at, that there are no decays. If I, if I have a billion dollars in account, it saves a billion dollars because it's static. Or if you take your, your budget or your forecast, which is a dynamic, and shock it, typically what happens is if you're taking that billion dollar account and growing it to you know 1.1 billion in your base environment, well, if you look at it, look at your shocked environments, does that balance stay the same? Mm -hmm. I bet you it does. In fact, the vast majority of the time, then the dynamic simulations ignore the decays. So whether static or dynamic, those decays are not being factored in, even though you knew that they were a risk mm -hmm. and everyone thinks, well, I have them in the model. Of course, they must apply to the whole model. Well, they actually only apply to different methodologies, unfortunately. And that is a big risk that is being missed in the industry. So just to, because it, it, this is not an easy discussion to track, hence you can have some show notes that have numbers in them. But <laughs> um, the, the takeaway there is whether you're doing, or one takeaway, not the only takeaway, is whether you're doing static or dynamic, a quick way to check to see if the decays are being applied is to go down and look, are the balances changing? Yeah. And then... And what we see a lot when we're doing model validations is that the balances are not changing for the income simulation. Yet, to your point, if you tried to pull that over in a in an economic value simulation, that would not go over well. So forgetting that they're not connected and they should be. Exactly. They should be. Uh, so then if they're not connected, if if people are using models that have that disconnect, Let's help out with a workaround. Okay, so one of the things we I'm going to give you a, the wrong workaround first. Okay, because this is what we actually what see most common. This is yeah. what not to do. Okay, but we see it when places do stress tests. 
what not to, they said okay well the risk is that the money might have to be replaced with cds so out of that billion dollar account that we talked about what if 200 million dollars is at risk mm -hmm. and then they move 200 million dollars into cds today and then they run it and they say well our earnings volatility actually looks even a little bit better than it had been well of course all of a sudden you just got to lock up in today's environment when you're testing rates changing mm -hmm. and so don't do that what you would want to do is just set up a separate account that essentially says you know either non-maturity deposit migration or non-maturity replacement and that way you can take that 200 million dollars in this example leave you know leave 800 million acting the way that you had have that 200 million dollars then reprice to the cd rate not be a CD account mm -hmm. because a, a certificate of deposit is going to be locked in for a year or two years or three years. And that's that's why all of a sudden the income simulations think that the volatility went down. Instead, you treat it as an account that at each environment needs to be replaced. It's still not a great workaround because the reality is the risk of withdrawals in today's environment will be different than if rates go up 300 right it's then or 200 or if rates go down 200 right. so you you still in the end you would like to have it where your income simulation is dynamically adjusting to the environment to represent the behavior of consumers changing and that's that's one of the foundations of what what we do because you need to see that risk, but at least use some form of workaround. Like we said there, you could you could do a little bit more on aggressiveness of betas in different environments on it. We've covered a lot of territory today and the content is quite involved. So if you only really walk away with two points, keep this in mind that these concepts are very important today as you're facing liquidity pressures and also you know, real specifically, the cost of liquidity combined with big balance sheet decisions and the pressure to continue to move your business forward strategically. So you may want to listen to this again. You may also feel like, gosh, I just rather have a conversation. Um, please feel free to call us. We're here to help. Yeah, we are. Thank you. Thanks.